keeping Patty Gasso down as she finds a new place for her Sooners to go play over the weekend. Oklahoma has a new basketball coach. True or false coming up is going to be mostly about football because that's the way we like it. And let's talk some running backs at the University of Oklahoma. What's up, everybody? I'm Matt Hofeld along with Rich DeCray. This is the Sooner Nation podcast. And Rich, we're back in the same room for the first time since January. Uh... I, I know I joke with you a lot. I don't live in this state anymore, but it's good to be back for a little while. Is it? It is. I it mean, is. It, it really well, is. Well, I, listen, I'm going to be here, here for the spring game, and then I'm I'm gone, and when I come back, it'll be football season. I, I love traveling. I love experiencing new cultures and new ways of life, but the truth is, man, there's nothing quite like sleeping in your own bed, and so I can understand where you're coming from to an extent, but at the same time, as I wouldn't trade traveling for the world. I started Is to say. Is that a thing you can say? Yeah, but see, I started to say I sleep in other people's beds more than I sleep in my own bed, but that doesn't sound good. I sleep in beds Yikes. in other countries and other locations more than I sleep in my own bed, but it is good to be back. Well, we'll, we'll say this, Matt. Since January, a lot has happened surrounding the University of Oklahoma. I know you said that we're going to talk about a new basketball coach, but a lot of people are looking at this team. And this is just a, a quick opening statement for me, if you will, are looking at this team and wondering just how good they're going to be, because there are a lot of vacancies for this new coach, Porter Moser, to fill before he actually hits the hardwood, hits the Big 12 conference for the very first time. Yeah, you know, and he addressed that on Wednesday, talked specifically about the fact that he's got a lot of holes to fill on his roster. Um, and then he Wednesday night, he gets a commitment from Austin Mason. Um, and, and I've, you know, it, it's crazy to me. Um, I'm, I'm kind of a, a social media addict. Uh, I guess I'm addicted to social media because I want to see no surprise. I, I want to see what people think, you know, and I want to see what they think about our podcast. I want to see what they think about our website. I want to see what they think about Austin Mason. And I saw a lot of negative reaction just to the fact that he's only a three-star recruit. He had two offers before Oklahoma offered him. He has Kansas State and he had Abilene Christian. Uh, Moser comes in, offers him, and he commits on Wednesday. But, I mean, I, I, admittedly, there there are there's a lot of gaps and he's got to get four or five more guys and he's going to go to the transfer portal. He's going to go back to the recruiting trail. He's going to look at junior college guys, but it, it is, it is a good question about expectations, particularly with this team. And if I'm, if I'm Mosier, as I'm, as I'm doing my recruiting, I mean, surely he's called Brady Manning by now, right? Cause that's one of the areas you need players is on the wing. Yeah, Absolutely. Brady Manick, I think, could be a linchpin for this team. One, he's got the experience. Two, he could easily set the tone and the expectation by buying in to what Porter Moser is selling, selling early on. And because of the relationship that he has with any player who's currently on the roster, and most likely those who are coming in as current recruits, I know they're going to recognize a name like Brady Manick. So again, if he buys in, it's easier to pull these guys along and have them buy in and then start seeing early successes. Mm -hmm. I'm not expecting this to be a great team next year. And I don't want that to be mistaken for what I'm saying, because I do expect there to be early successes for this team. And again, Brady Manick coming back would be huge, but it's not going to be an indicator of where this team will be under Porter Moser. We've got to recognize 
This is a first year coach coming into a power five conference. And I'm going to say this as a blanket statement, just because a guy has a three star rating next to his name holds very little value to me. It doesn't matter if a guy has a five star rating still, it holds very little value to me. And the reason for that, Matt, is this, we look at those numbers and we say this player has a certain level of prestige, right? But we don't know where the term prestige actually comes from. And if we were going to do a little deep dive on this, we would know that it's the French word for deception. It's this idea that someone is good. But let's see that pan out on the collegiate level because Sam Bradford was a three-star recruit right. as well. Yeah, when you said three stars don't matter to me, I was like, well, they didn't really matter to Sam Bradford either. Look at you going deep on, on vernacular with this. Um so let me ask you this. If Brady Manning does come back, so you're saying your expectations are going to be low with or without Brady Manning? When I say my expectations would be low, Brady Manning didn't have the most notable of seasons during his but career that, at but the University of Oklahoma. That's one season compared to three. It is I mean, one you got season. three solid it, seasons and then one it struggle. It was a season of a lot of ups and downs, a lot of irregularities because of the canceling of games, missing practices, being forced to sit in quarantine. I know other players on the roster had to deal with this as well, and we saw those players return to the roster and never really make an, an impact. Brady Manick just happens to fall into that fold with those guys. So Brady Manick, I do think good player, big stretch four. He gives you a lot of options on what you can do offens offensively, but he needs to knock down shots consistently in order to be the threat that we know he can be. That's when he becomes the game changer. And it's not just a singular player, in my opinion, that's going to make all the difference. Sure, Brady Manick gives you some credibility. Again, I talk about the experience with him, but this is not a team right now that I see as an NCAA contender. I just don't know if it's too early to go there because we don't know what this roster is going to look like. You got the Cortez coming in, the Cortez kid coming in. Right. So that's, that's why my, my label of right now. And is, But that's what I'm saying. I think it's, I think it's, it's way too early to have this. Should, should expectations quill a little bit? I mean, this is a program that for 10 years, Long Kruger consistently had it in the NCAA tournament. He made a final four run with Buddy Hield. But he didn't make the tournament every year. And and so that's what I'm wondering is should should expectations be lowered? Because you got you got Cortez, you got the Nolan kid coming in, and now you got you know the, the kid out of Kansas City who just committed on, on Wednesday night. He's gonna Moses is gonna add four more guys, at least four more guys for this roster. One of those guys may be a seasoned veteran like Brady Manning. But did you? I mean, there's like 60% of the players. This is crazy. Googleable information. But like 60% of the players are in the transfer portal right now across across NCAA basketball. So it's I mean it's it's different now than what it used to be. It used to be a college basketball coach had to come on a campus and you needed to give him two years to really recruit guys. Now he just opens up the transfer portal and says, oh, let's make a pitch at this guy. Let's make a pitch at this guy. Let's make a pitch at this guy. And that's why I think when you go back to a kid like Brady Manick, who I think will have an open door to come back to the University of Oklahoma, I just don't know how long that door is going to be open. Because if you're Mosier, you're putting your roster together, and I feel like it's a first-come, first-serve type of situation. And so Brady Manick needs to make a decision, but I think he needs to make it fairly quick. 
I don't disagree with your assessment, and I think it's a a very interesting wrinkle to throw into the conversation because for me and where I sit, it's easy to to overlook the transfer portal. Why? Because this is the University of Oklahoma where there have been some good teams. They just haven't consistently been there. It's not Kansas. It's not Kentucky. It's it's not Duke. It's not these blue bloods of the college basketball realm. And so how much attraction can you actually draw or bring to the table for these players mm-hmm. while you're courting them to play at your school in your program? One thing that I, I think we're going to have to consider though, at the same time is it's not just about the players in this instance. It is also about the coach. And I know you've mentioned Moser's name. I've mentioned Moser's name. A lot of people are are curious to what does he actually bring to the table because the most exposure that Loyola Chicago ever had was four years ago. And now this year. So we've, as a, a country, those who are basketball fans, there is some exposure to his style of play, but I don't know that I would go out on a limb and pinpoint exactly who he is as a, as a coach on that limited amount of experience or knowledge that I have of him. Well, first of all, I think it's a home run hire for uh, for Joe Castiglione. I, I can say that. Really? I, I really do. Um, wait, wait, wait. Can we back up? Sure. Why is it a home run hire? Well, first explain that. Okay, I think prestige, first of all. Th- this is a guy whose name – look, Indiana wanted him. Uh, he, no deception. There, there's a <laughs> there, there's a there's a lot of people who wanted this guy. And and when you talk about basketball blue bloods, traditionally basketball blue bloods, Indiana's listed higher than Oklahoma. And Joe Castiglione got him to come to Oklahoma over Indiana. And those are just two on a long list of programs who wanted to hire him. So first of all, from from a for just from a prestige level, I I will say this: my top guy. I I remember talking with you about this. Paul yeah. Mills was my top guy. And that's where I was going to go with this conversation. But here's the thing. The minute Trey Phipps transferred from Oklahoma to ORU, I knew Paul Mills wasn't coming. There's no way you're going to get – you're going to recruit this kid to come to your program from Oklahoma, and then you're going to jump ship and go to Oklahoma. Just zero chance of that happening. But that said, even though it wasn't my guy, Porter Mosier has a longer track record of success – than what Paul Mills did. He 10 years at Loyola, he put Loyola on the map. And you you talked about the final four run in 2018. They they knocked out number one seed just this last this last year uh in you know I guess this month <laughs> in, in March Madness. So th- there's everything he checks all the boxes. When when you talk about what Long Kruger was to this program, he was the steady foundation layer. The question with Lon Kruger was, is was he the builder? You know what I'm saying? He was definitely the foundation layer because this program was in a mess after Jeff Capel. Not only did Lon Kruger correct that, but he took him to the Final Four. I would say Lon Kruger exceeded expectations at the University of Oklahoma. Now, Mosier comes in as the builder. And how do you know he can build? Well, because you look at what he did at, at Loyola. He built it. He built it into a and, – and people are going to, like, scoff at this. But when you make it to the Final Four and you knock off number one seeds, it's pretty much a national power. But what, what people were saying about Loyola is what they were saying about Gonzaga 10 years ago. Yeah, they're kind of a flash in the pan. They'll, they'll, they'll fade away. But it's very – 
possible that had Moser stayed at Loyola, he could have built that program into what Gonzaga is today. Instead, he's going to come and he's going to build at Oklahoma where a foundation has already been laid. And that's why when you, when you talk about other coaches out there, there was, I mean, my boys were all excited when Eduardo Nahara's name got mentioned. Kellen Sampson, <laughs> Hollis Price, none of those guys were ever really coming because you and I have talked about this as well. None of those guys were realistic because of what Lon Kruger did. It, it was it was a mess, and Lon Kruger got it elevated above the mess level. And now, if you're Joe Castiglione, you need someone who's established, someone who's energetic, someone who has a little bit of a change of pace, and someone who who is proven. And Mosier checks off every single one of those boxes. And the fact that a lot of people wanted him, to me, that makes him a home run hire. The question for me, Matt, when you say that he's the home run hire, is there were several names, numerous ones that you've already mentioned, but Dana Altman, I thought, would have been the number two guy. I don't know when Moser became... Okay, so as an outsider looking in, we had a rank of names or a list of names that were consistently being published through various media outlets. Moser was never, and I knew that his name would come up in conversation because of that final four run, because they knocked off number one Illinois this year in the tournament. There was clearly a large target being painted on his back by some of these power five conferences, by conferences like the Big East, who are looking to make deep runs and establish Mm -hmm. themselves as legitimate players on the national scene, able to compete with anyone And a handful of teams have, have reached that level of success while others are saying, who do we have to get to get on their level? I, again, don't know when Moser's name actually appeared on the shortlist for Oklahoma, but it seemed rather abrupt for me. And because of the abruptness, you're smiling I feel like you've got something to tack on to this, but because of that abruptness, it, to me, insinuated that there was a list of candidates and Oklahoma wasn't going to secure them, so they moved to plan B. No, no, I, I don't think that's the case at all because here, here's what you got to be careful when there's coaching searches. You, you've got to be able to separate what's really on Joe Castiglione's shortlist and what is on the fans' shortlist. And and I promise you, I promise you, Joe Castiglione had a list of candidates before Lon Kruger ever retired. He has a list of candidates before Sherry Cole retired. As much as we love Patty Gasso and Oklahoma softball, he's got a list of candidates. Joe Castiglione. That'll never happen. She's staying forever. I hope so. Joe Castiglione is the best in the business for a reason. And so I, like Dana Altman, he he doesn't raise the needle. Okay. I don't think anybody would have would have said that's a home run hire because it's really Long Kruger 2.0. We, right. We've seen Dana Altman at Oklahoma because we saw Long Kruger. Uh, so because of that, I don't think he was ever as high on on Castiglione's list. I, I think he was looking at younger guys. And yeah, I, I think Mills was on the list. I think Moser was on the list. The, the guy at North Texas was on the list. I'm blanking on his name all of a sudden. But but those, I think he was really looking to reinvent this. And the reason I say that is because you saw, you you saw you saw this mass exodus. Davian Harmon gone. 
Brady Manning, gone. Kirk Queth, gone. It will, I mean, all these names that are going into the transfer portal, and then your top assistant. Or the draft. Or the draft, and then your top assistant's gone. You knew from that point, when, when you have this mass exodus of players, you knew the program had been told it's going to be a total rebuild as far as the coaching staff goes. And that, that's why you, you, you knew that none of those assistants were going to get the job. So I, I don't know, like you, I don't know when Moser was on the list, uh, but I, I'm glad he was. And I think he was an, a tremendous hire. The question now is, you know, we talk about this Brady Manic comeback. I mean, do, I think Davian Harmon's gone. Regardless of what NBA draft status is, I don't think he's coming back. I mentioned this last week uh, when I was doing the podcast solo. I think he's gone. I, I I think we have seen the last of Harmon, regardless of what his evaluation comes back. That's not the biggest question that, that the fans want to know, though, Matt. Okay, yes, I will agree to be the assistant coach. <laughs> the the biggest the biggest question that the fans want to know is does Sister Jean come alongside him? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Sister Jean's. Uh, I don't think she's safe to travel right now. Hopefully, she's had her COVID shots though. Hey, I'm half. I'm half inoculated now, and um, and so I, I, I'm not quite ready for you to spit in my mouth yet or anything, but I, I'm getting there. Um, let's switch gears real fast. Softball, Oklahoma softball heading to Louisiana. Uh, you and I had talked last time we were able to connect via Zoom whether Oklahoma would be undefeated after they played Wichita State. Now we got to move that back because they're not playing Wichita State till next month. But Oklahoma and Wichita State gets canceled on Wednesday because of the threat of inclement weather. Oklahoma's series against Baylor gets shut down because of COVID concerns amongst the Baylor program. So what does Patty Gasso do? Oklahoma softball puts out a tweet on Wednesday. It just says, who wants to play? And, it's, and they found some teams. So the Sooners are traveling to, um, to Ruston, Louisiana. They're going to play Mississippi State Saturday. And then uh, they're going to play Louisiana Tech later on Saturday. Neither one of these teams are great competition. Um, I'm pretty sure Louisiana Tech is below 500. I think they're 13 and 16 on the season. Mississippi State just above 500. But the fact is they're playing, and kudos to Patty Gasso for saying, you know what, we're going to take the team and we're going to play. The good news for the team, though, Matt, is they don't find themselves falling into a little bit of a slump. And I think the the best example to use at the moment is a team like Baylor who came in to the right. season number two, Baylor basketball, what we're talking about here, came into the season number two, had very high probability of an undefeated season, instead took three weeks off, didn't play, didn't compete. I don't know what their limitations were in practice, but we saw them come back and have to shake some of this rust off. So mm -hmm. anytime, doesn't matter the level of competition, anytime you can get into a live action scenario, I think as a coach, you have to take it. And when those opportunities are removed from the table, then you better be actively searching for something to replace it. So hat tip to the university, hat tip to the coaching staff, hat tip to whoever's doing the scheduling for Oklahoma, because just, just for the sheer fact that they're going to be playing, I think will benefit them. And it doesn't, Again, doesn't matter the level of competition. It's not going to hurt their ranking. It's not going to hurt their strength of schedule. Unless they lose. Well, that's a completely different story. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was a fun opening segment. We're going to move to true or false. I'm asking the questions this week as well as a couple of fan questions. And then uh, we'll close it out talking Oklahoma running backs. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so we started something last week where we reached out to some uh, some people via social media and just said, hey, give us your true or false questions. We want to add them to the show. Basically, that was born. That idea was born because I was flying solo and I needed someone to help me out. And so, but it went over pretty well. And so we've got a we've got two of the five true or false questions, Rich, are going to be from social media, and then three are are from me. So that said, you're firmly in the hot seat, my friend. Are you ready to start true or false? Yeah, as ready as I'm ever going to be. Okay, here we go. So true or false? Uh, the first question is about basketball. We're going to close up our basketball conversation with this one, and then we're going to move full fledged into football. So here we go. Number one. True or false, it was, in fact, time for Oklahoma basketball to have a change of pace from Lon Kruger. That's a difficult one for me, and I'm going to go with true. Uh, Just a gut instinct, a gut feeling here. Let me explain myself, though, okay? When we looked at Lon Kruger, I knew that he had come onto this staff as the head guy with a purpose. He was a guy who is very level-headed, has his head on straight, and approaches the game from a stance of not only respect, but of I'm going to do the right thing when the situation calls for me to maybe bend the rules. And so Lon Kruger came at an opportune moment where he had established himself longevity-wise. We knew what type of a coach that he was going to be. We knew that that he would be committed here to the University of Oklahoma. And more importantly, he would be committed to the cause of riding the ship, of erasing some of the past mistakes and errors, and instead getting this university, getting this program, getting this team into a place where I think mentally they can remove the stain that was once there. Needless to say, I think Lon Kruger really hit his pinnacle with the University of Oklahoma. I I think he was an excellent coach in getting players to recognize the potential that they had. Buddy Heald, a four-year player, I think is the, the, the epitome of that. So needless to say, I think he had reached the pinnacle, and I think he was getting to a point where maybe we we had seen the best of him. Now moving forward, Oklahoma is still wanting to be competitive. Oklahoma is still wanting to compete not only in the Big 12, but also in the NCAA tournament, have a couple more deep runs, and they, they just simply needed a younger guy. Whether that was for recruiting purposes, to relate to players better, I always think assistants can fill that gap, though, so I'm not a huge proponent of that argument. But when it comes to hiring a younger guy, I think there's this notion that they can be more relatable to a player. They bring a new style to the game. They bring a fresh outlook, etc. And so when we look at the trajectory that Oklahoma was on, I think that Oklahoma had plateaued and was looking for something new. And that's no knock against Lon Kruger because, again, I think he did exactly what the university brought him in to do. Yeah, I'm, I'm just going to jump in here and echo with you. And actually, I'm going to repeat what I said in the opening segment is that Lon Kruger was a foundation layer, but I don't think he was necessarily a program builder 
And that's why you got to that plateau. He laid the foundation, re brought this program out of the ashes of the J Jeff Capel era. But you you just saw this pattern develop over the last four or five seasons where they get off to this great start, non-conference play, early conference play, and then they just kind of nosedive into the postseason. And that it was a repeated pattern from this program. It's not a knock on Lon Kruger's legacy. It's not a knock on, on what he did at the University of Oklahoma. But I think it, it you just saw, you said it plateaued, and it's because he's not a builder. And and so I agree with everything you just said. Okay, officially moving from basketball to football with the question of, does Brady Manning show up at UNLV with Lon Kruger's son? Just just a thought to throw that out there. Mm, um, who knows? Who knows? Um, okay, so here we go. Uh, true or false, Tulsa linebacker Xavier Collins will be the first player selected from the state of Oklahoma in the 2021 NFL draft. I'm yeah, draft's three weeks away, homie. Right, I'm going to go ahead and go with true. Really? On that one. And I, I know where you're coming from, Matt. I do think there's a priority that is put on specific positions, and linebacker isn't typically that high up the list. Mm -hmm. But we see we see Collins, who is very consistent. We see him show some natural tendencies and instincts, a desire to flow towards the ball, a desire to make plays, and a desire ultimately for contact. When you see that in a defender, it doesn't matter at what level, I think you need to start putting a premium on them. And I think that's what's going to happen for him in the NFL. He's first round talent. But again, it's all going to shake out to, to the needs. Yeah. And that's my biggest concern, um, if he'll be a first-round draft pick or not. But I do think he'll be the first from the state of Oklahoma. I think he's a lock to be a first-round draft pick. And and I don't think I can say that about – see, here I, – I really thought you would go false on this. I mean, I agree 100% with you. But I thought your Ronnie Perkins Creed Humphrey fandom would, would make you say false to this. But – I, I think when I I've started looking at the NFL draft, obviously because it's three three weeks out, and we gotta start doing our draft profiles for the website. But the one thing I find about Xavier Collins is he's pretty much a lock to be a first round draft pick. I don't see that with Ronnie Perkins yet. I don't see that with Creed Humphrey yet. Certainly don't see it with Ramondre Stevenson or the Trays. But I see it with Xavier and, Collins, and that leads me to believe that Xavier Collins will in fact be the first player from this state to come off the board. It is, it is a little bit shocking to me, and, and the reason being that is that Creed Humphrey, I, I'm surprising myself, Creed Humphrey, his measurables were off the chart. Mm -hmm. The problem is you don't get to see that in a high-pressure environment where other players who are also playing the same position as you are standing next to you, watching you, and wanting to do better than you. This is a a comfortable environment. It's one that you're familiar with. I get that there are still a lot of eyes on you, but when you step out at the university of Oklahoma onto the field for the first time and hear 90,000 fans, I feel like that's pretty intimidating for a player as even if it's just their first year starting, but they're a junior, it doesn't matter. I know from experience how intimidating that that can be. I've run onto the field with 90,000 screaming fans before. And I can tell you when you can't hear anything and you're the newbie, you you kind of shake in your boots a little bit, not from nervousness, but the the excitement, the adrenaline and the the unknown. 
that's beside the point. When it comes to Creed Humphrey, I could see him working his way up the draft boards because of his tenacity and because, again, the the measurables that he's mm-hmm. already posted. But I'm curious when it comes to the offensive line. We talk about I've already mentioned position priority right when it comes to the offensive line i think the center is not the highest priority it's always going to be the left side of that line to protect the blind side of the quarterbacks creed humphrey unfortunately just doesn't fit that is he worthy of a first round draft grade i think so i think his body of work speaks volumes for him matt i just don't think he's the the first (laughs) player from the state of oklahoma taken off the list now i could go back on that if we start thinking wide receivers. I mean, I'm just, we're talking about players all together for the state right. of Oklahoma. Right. I know that. So who are you saying? Is Tylen Wallace not coming out this year? No, he's coming out, but he won't get drafted in the first round. You think why? I just he does he's on a first round grade. Okay. He I, he I don't think he'll get drafted in the second round. Okay. Now, now all the all all the OSU guys are that all three of them that listen to our podcast are going to call me a hater for that. I don't see Tylen Wallace going until late second round at the at the best. Um, I look, I I love I love Creed Humphrey. I love Ronnie Perkins. I I I'm there's no part of me that's going to say they made a mistake by by coming out early, but I draft boards aren't set because draft boards are always going to evolve based off what the teams do in front of you. But here's what we do know. This is going to be a quarterback-heavy yes, draft. Yes, it is. So you're going to probably be to – I'm just going to guess probably your fifth pick of the NFL draft will be the first non-quarterback pick. I'm going to disagree with you. Okay, so, so where, where do you think? I, I think it could happen at number four, but I also think – Okay, maybe there's, number four. There's an outside chance that it can happen at number two. No, no, it's it, no, it's it, Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and Mac Jones. We we know number three and number one are locked on quarterbacks. You don't trade up that high to not get a quarterback. They're all locked on quarterbacks. I mean, look, they're, they're, who's number two? The Jets? I I I don't remember. See, look at Let's you. Take I, a look. Okay, pull up. I, I'm telling you, it's going to be four four at the earliest, but maybe five before you get to the. Uh, yes, the the Jets are yeah. number two, and so, they just traded Sam. Yeah, Darnold, they're going so quarterback. You, you're right. Yeah. So, um, you think the Falcons need one then too? Uh, so, so yeah. We've got, I mean, we've look, got Jacksonville one. Okay, here's and, and they're going to take. You think they're going to take Trevor Lawrence, or yes. are they going to take Justin Fields? No, I agree. Tre- Trevor, Trevor Lawrence. Lawrence, hands right. down, number one. Okay. There's there's no questions that I have mm-hmm. surrounding him. So the Jets are going to take a quarterback. And then was a San Francisco's third? I don't know that it's Justin Fields going number two though. No, I don't think Justin Fields is going to go to four or five. I, 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 when you when you look at Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, and um and and Zach Wilson, sorry, I was blinking there. Those three guys are all going to go ahead of Justin Fields. Did you see Ohio State's doing a second? Pro day? No. Yeah, they're doing a second pro day, and that tells you everything you need to know about where Justin Fields is. But I think Atlanta's going to take a quarterback, and I don't think they'll take Justin Fields. That kid, I'm blanking on his name. Trey Lance. Yes, from from uh, North Dakota State. Mm-hmm. I think he could go ahead of, of Justin Fields, which means Justin Fields may not go until you know Cincinnati doesn't need a quarterback at number five. That's why I said you get to number five before you get a non-quarterback pick. But anyway, we digress as far as that goes. Let's go back to true or false. Um, Here's my last question. Then we got two listener questions, okay? 
You, you back with me? Are yeah, you still? Yeah. I feel no, like I, was just I feel looking, like you're still looking so, at NFL so draft. Here's yeah, because I said that number four could be the first non-quarterback pick. So I just went into some projections, and it seems as though the popular option at number four. That's Atlanta, right? Yeah. Okay. The popular option is Kyle Pitts. Okay. Now, I, I now, hope he goes to the Dolphins, though. There are quarterbacks being listed there, but but Kyle Pitts, where I'm at at least, which is CBS. Kyle Pitts is the name that I'm seeing more frequently than any other name at the number four pick. Man, I'd really like my Dolphins to get him at number six, but whatever. Okay, so here we go. Uh, number three on the uh, true or false questions. Do I have your attention once again, sir? Yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. True or false, freshman receiver Mario Williams will be this year's version of Marvin Mims in the Sooner offense. I certainly hope so. I'm going to go with true. This is a kid who's coming in with a lot of talent and a lot of speed. We talk about guys who come in and just have a knack and a natural flow within the game. And Mario Williams seems to be that kind of a player for me. Granted, this is all on the surface. And I know it, earlier here in the podcast, Matt, that I said star rankings have zero meaning. They <laughs> carry zero weight for me. But when you watch this kid play, I get he's not going to be the biggest player on the field. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't know how to use his body to shield defenders from the ball. There, Like I said, there's a lot of good that's coming with Mario Williams as he begins to lace up the shoes and step out onto the field for the first time. I'm not expecting, you know, the similar numbers, Matt. And the reason for that would be there are established receivers that are around him. But if you're going to tell me that any freshman at the receiver position would have a bigger impact or well, I can't say sophomore. If any <laughs> any freshman would have a bigger impact at the receiver position than Mario Williams, I would be shocked. Okay, I'll, I can jump on with that when we're talking specifically a freshman. But when we talk about Marvin Mims in 2020, the kid comes out of nowhere to mm -hmm. to really lead this receiving core as a true freshman. If Mario Williams leads Oklahoma's receiving core in 2021, that means it's been a big fail boat by some of these big name guys like. Trajan Bridges, like Theo Weiss, like Jaden Hazelwood. Does it, though? It does, because it's put up our shut-up time for that trio right there. It is. And Lincoln Riley even said it in opening up spring practice was that, look, the receivers underperformed in 2020. And when you talk about the heart of this receiving core, which, by the way, has major talent, major talent, so much so that Rambo, gone. Theo Howard, gone. We, we barely knew you, Theo Howard. But... um. If Trajan Bridges, Theo Weiss, Jaden Hazelwood, if they don't perform in 2021 and then they get beat by freshmen like they did in 2020, it's time to say it's bust for that group. And I just don't see that happening. I think Jaden Hazelwood taking the time off for the Cotton Bowl and not participating in that was kind of like a soul-searching moment for him. Is how much do I want to do this at this program after the incredibly difficult year he had with the injury and then COVID? He's back and and he is really making strides. I'm not saying Mario Williams isn't talented. I think he's got talent for days as well. But what I am saying is there's four guys, four guys that clearly should be ahead of Mario Williams when it when it when, when in terms of pro productivity and time on the field. Will Mario Williams have time on the field in 2021? I think he will, and I think he will in as much as that he's going to burn the red shirt uh, going beyond those four games. But see, we haven't even talked about the H-backs, tight end guys. I just, there's a lot of, there's a lot of talent here and a lot of, a lot of ways for 
Spencer Rattler to distribute the football. If Mario Williams is leading this crew, I think this that it's bad news. I, I just, I'm saying. Okay, if Mario Williams leads this crew, man, my my answer should be false. On okay. that. I, I was taking it from a little bit of a different perspective. Well, I mean, when you're he, talking about freshmen, you got basically Cody Jackson or Mario Williams, you know, Farouk. Well, OK, you're right. That's that's a good point. I, I Yes. I mean, there there's but a couple Farouk's, of names that will be Farouk's thrown not in. on campus right now. I no, don't believe. Not. And so that there, kind of removes him from the conversation. There are. And, and but I'm talking across the board, defensive, yeah. offensive. If any player has. Oh, uh, no, I can't impact, jump on that. I can't jump on that at all, because <laughs> okay. I think there's some guys defensively. That are going to have a freshman. Yes. True freshman. Yes. And maybe that's another topic for another. I mean, we stay tuned for next week's podcast, you know, and maybe we can jump into that. But I, I just I don't see I, I don't see Mario Williams having a bigger impact than some of these guys on the defensive side of the ball that are freshmen that are on campus right now. OK, I, that's just me. Well, we will have plenty of time to do an eye test. And at the end of the season, if even if you just wanted to look at numbers, uh-huh. you would see who had the most productivity. And it's hard to compare defenders to offensive players. I get that. But you can tell the impact that an individual had on a game. And Matt, here's what I'm not expecting. So what you're okay? saying is that Marvin, uh, sorry, that Mario Williams will have more receiving yards than Jordan Mukes. Yeah, <laughs> that's where you're going. Absolutely. <laughs> when it when it comes to Mario Williams, though, I do expect him to have an impact. I think I'm not saying that. I'm not saying he won't. I'm not expecting him to go out and catch catch eight touchdown passes. Yeah, I'm, I, what I'm saying is he. I think we got to quell the comparing him to Marvin Mims. Marvin Mims was is a superior talent, and I think he'll very much be like Ceedee Lamb when he leaves. But also, his success was birthed out of necessity. Because what Lincoln Riley needed from the experienced guys wasn't happening. Right. I I don't think Lincoln Riley is going to put himself in that situation two years in a row. I think they have been riding these receivers in spring ball. And the fact that Marvin Mims had such success last year paints these three guys. And we're going to throw Austin Stogner in there as well. Paints these four guys in a corner where they know if I don't produce right now, I'm not producing at this university. I think that's the writings on the wall there. Yeah. And because of that, I think these guys are going to be studs in 2021. Next question. Let's do it. Okay. What's so your, what's you, you're, you're done talking. I, I, yeah. Well, I mean, actually, you, we're going to stay. You stated your point. We're going to stay with receivers because this comes from social media. I've stated mine. Uh, Gonzo Strangelove. True or false? Marvin Mims will be even better this year, emerging as the Stoops. As the as the I don't know where Stoops came from. I'm gonna start that over because we didn't talk about Drake Stoops. I guess that's what it is. True or false? Marvin Mims will be even better this year, emerging as the Sooners' top wide receiver. Man, he's M- Marvin Mims has the talent once again to carry the load. Will he? Will he be able to do that? Is my question. And, and here's why. Before I answer true or false, Mims is going to demand a lot of attention yep. from defenses this year Absolutely. that he didn't necessarily have placed upon him last year. Everybody was looking at some of the bigger targets, the Stogners, the potentially Hazelwood on the outside, but the Theo Weiss mm-hmm. as well later in the season and saying these are guys who if they get behind the defense, we've got no shot of making a play on the ball because it's going to be high. It's going to be thrown up there and they've got the ability to go up high point this ball and, and come down with it. 
Theo Weiss, with the emergence that he had in the latter half of the season, I think he would compete for that title as well. And it's the reason that I'm going to say false this year. The combination of those two things, I think there's a lot of talent at the position. There's a lot of guys who recognize that this may very well be their last opportunity. That's not the case for Mims. Will he have an impact? Will he get fairly close to the 1,000 yard mark, if not eclipse it? Absolutely. But do I expect him to be the leader on this receiving core? I don't know that I'm willing to go there yet. So I'm going to say false just because of some of the unknown factors and how they'll play out throughout the course of the season will affect his game. Yeah. I, and I don't think I can get on board either. Not because of talent. I mean, if everything you've said, he is going to demand a lot of, a lot of attention from opposing defenses, but I, I really feel like Jaden Hazelwood is the guy this year. He, I, from what I hear in spring, if he can stay healthy, well, that's the thing from what I hear, what he's doing right now in spring ball, he will be a man possessed coming into 2021. And with all the attention going to Marvin Mims, he's going to be a guy that I really think just we're going to be like, oh, my gosh, you know, look at how much Mm -hmm. he's improved. And I think he will be the leading receiver. That's just my way too early prediction. Yeah. And like I said, I can get on board with that. Why I've stated it before. There is a lot of talent and that talent is recognizing, as you've alluded to, and I'm stating that this could very well be the last opportunity. Okay, your back's against the wall, Matt. It's all about how you respond. (laughs) So here we go. Last question. Again, social media. With depth and immense talent on the defensive line, Alex Grinch will maximize looks and stunts in 2021. True or false? I'm going to go with false. Really? On this one. Um, I I think a lot of the success from the defensive line has been – that they've been handed a very specific role mm-hmm. that's been concise and they know what's being asked of them. There's not a lot of trickery. There's not a lot of deception there. There's not a lot of deceit and these illusions that happen along the defensive line. Now I get the defensive line has been extremely well documented in their late adjustments, shifts and splits. I expect that to continue by all means, but I don't expect the defense to get any more complicated than what it is. Why? It's because that this was a defense that was so successful, even without what many people considered to be the top defender on this roster in Ronnie Perkins. Isaiah Thomas, incredibly, incredibly influential upon the outcome of the game. We know what happened in the middle. You bring in two transfers, their immediate impact is felt Excuse me, it's felt as well. And so I expect that to continue. I expect them to mature in those roles. I I just don't expect Alex Grinch to add a lot to their plates, knowing the level of success that they've had previously. I couldn't disagree with you more on this. I I really can't. And and there's two reasons. Because you got several players that are going into their third season with Alex Grinch. So they're familiar with the system. And so every year that you get a player more familiar with your system, then you you give them more responsibility. So I, I think we have not seen the full Alex Grinch defense yet. I think next year, 2021, I guess this coming season, you see way more of it than you saw in, in 2019. And I think 2022, if Oklahoma is fortunate enough to retain him for that season, then you finally see the full Alex Grinch defense. But 
I I think when you you talk about the talent, you talk about the experience of these guys. Absolutely, I think he's going to maximize what he does with defensive stunts and alignments and the way he looks. And I think they've even kind of hinted to that already by talking about, hey, there's some guys we don't need. They're on the defensive line, but we don't have a position for them. They could be a defensive tackle. They could be a defensive end. They could be the rush linebacker. We're just going to put them out there and we're going to let the offense guess where they line up. To me, that's a guy who says, I'm maximizing the looks and the stunts that I get out of these guys. And so uh, while, while I can agree, well, I, I can understand where you you're go. coming you from, go. I don't think I can jump on hey, board I'm, and agree with you. I'm taking the standpoint of if it ain't broke, don't fix well, it. Well, true that, true that, but you got to force more turnovers. Okay, so we're going to talk more running backs and we're going to close out the Sooner Nation podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Okay, Rich, so before we close this out with running back conversation, I just, I want, I want to ask you, because this goes back two weeks ago to our podcast, did you see that spring game tickets have gone on sale to the general public? <laughs> yes. In fact, um, a set of tickets were offered to me. Okay. Okay. So I knew that that, that was the case. I wasn't going to bring it up, but I, I guess I'm glad you did. <laughs> okay. Just just wanted to throw that out there. Okay, so the, when you talk about Oklahoma's running backs, you have to start the, – the story, in my opinion, has shifted from the return of Kennedy Brooks to the rise of Eric Gray to the point where you almost get – well, I do get the feeling, based on what I've seen and heard, that Eric Gray is legitimately pushing Kennedy Brooks not just to share time – but to take the lead as the number one guy in this backfield. And what's pushing him over the edge is his versatility. Even what DeMarco Murray said was his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. When asked about the two running backs who are the better receivers and his very talented but very full running back room, DeMarco Murray mentioned Eric Gray and Mikey Henderson as the two best pass catchers that he's got in his backfield. We know Mikey Henderson's not pushing for a starting job, but Eric Gray is, and that may be the one thing that gets him over the edge. I think we see both of these guys on the field a lot in 2021 Henderson, at the same time. Henderson? No, Gray and, and, Brooks and Brooks on the field at the same time. I, I wouldn't disagree with that. And it, it goes – it really plays – into Lincoln Riley's strengths. I know we've mentioned it before and it will continue to be talked when Lincoln talked about, excuse me, when Lincoln Riley's name is mentioned and it's his ability to exploit weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And if there isn't one to find one right. to create it and then to exploit it. We saw that a lot with Mikey Henderson last year. And even though he was a young player, a freshman, correct me if I'm wrong yeah, there, yeah. even though he's a young player that doesn't have a lot of experience, we saw just how effective he could be in the specific task of catching the ball when, when coming out of the backfield and using a lot of motion to get him open and to get the defense running in the opposite direction. There was a lot of that played in to Mikey Henderson's favor mm -hmm. last year. And I can't I, I can't recall a single moment where someone said that they were displeased with what they saw out of him and how Oklahoma was using him on the field. I still think he's going to take a more versatile role in this offense, and he's going to allow Oklahoma to play at the pace that they want to. And of course, they're looking for that in the starting running back as well. So 
Matt, I, I'm not going to disagree with the Eric Gray comments. I'm not going to say that he isn't a talented guy who is unworthy of a starting spot. It's just extremely difficult when a guy comes in and is so new, so fresh, hasn't taken that year off to really stave them off, to give them the stiff arm, if you will, from getting your spot. And while Kennedy Brooks is an extremely talented running back, We've seen what his strengths are. We've seen what he's capable of. And when you have a thousand yard rusher, it's hard to say that you're displeased with him too. So regardless of who steps out there as the number one running back, it will be a well-earned spot. Oh, I agree a hundred percent because this is going to be a fun running back competition that goes all the way down. And I think what Lincoln Riley is going to do, if, if I was, if I was guessing, okay, if I'm, if I'm the guy who has to prognosticate what Lincoln Riley is going to do, I would say early in the season, what Riley is going to do is he's going to use, he's going to use Kennedy Brooks in, in run heavy situations. And he's going to use. He's going to use Eric, Eric Gray in run-pass option situations. So when the defense kind of looks for trends, they're going to say, look, Kennedy Brooks is in the game. This means 60% that this is going to be a run play. So the linebackers are going to take that extra step forward when Kennedy Brooks is in the game. And then they're going to say, look, okay, well, here's Eric Gray. When Eric Gray's in the game, then you have a 60% RPO. So those linebackers are going to stay, and the, and they're going to stay kind of flat where they are. And then you're going to see your safeties begin to move on the premise of a possible RPO. So you're going to have those two de definitions out of these two running backs. But then what happens when you get into the Cotton Bowl against Texas and you've got Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks on the field at the same time. What do you do in that situation? I think those are the type of trends and those mismatches that you're talking about that Lincoln Wright is going to try to set up with these running backs. But don't don't get confused on the fact that Eric Gray is fresh and new right here to Oklahoma, and therefore that that gives a leg up to Kennedy Brooks because everything has been nothing. Uh, everything has been completely 100% positive about gray. Here's what DeMarco Murray said about him just this week. Um, when talking about specifically about Eric gray, he said the first word that comes to, to mind is pro is me. <laughs> yeah, no, he didn't say that. <laughs> the first word that comes to mind is pro. He's a pro. He's a guy that shows up early and stays up late. The transition offensively scheme wise has honestly been very easy for him. And our offense is very complex. I'm still learning every day, but it's been great. He's a heck of a player, a great young man. We're fortunate to have him here. So DeMarco Murray, his position coach talking highly of him, but more importantly about the schematics that he's picking up that that removes any sense of favoritism towards Kennedy Brooks having been in this system and being a 2000 yard back. I, it, this is going to be a fun position battle that we're honestly not going to know the answer to until, you know, the third week of, of, of August, but it's going to be fun to see these guys. Um, so look, I, Mikey Henderson, I, I think, I think what you're going to see is, is spot duty from Mikey Henderson. But that that leaves, where do you put Marcus Major? Where do you put Seth McGowan? I, I think with Mikey Henderson, he's an easy replacement for Eric Gray. I think Marcus Major is an easy replacement to give Kennedy Brooks a breather. But then where do you put Seth McGowan? That's an easy one for me. Well, answer it. I, I think this is a year Seth McGowan red shirts. Mm. It, Matt, it, it I mean, makes, maybe it, it makes, makes sense, sense and, but and I here's don't... why. 
for me, when I look at a guy like Eric Gray, when I look at a guy like Kennedy Brooks, these are two guys who are who are NFL bound, uh-huh. and I think this is the last hurrah for them. So when you look at the the productivity, when you look at right. the, the body type, when you look at what they're capable of doing and what's already on film, there's not a lot. There's not a lot of questions that exist for a guy like Kennedy Brooks. Yeah. Eric Gray, I get, still wants to prove something, wants to play for something probably as well. But I do think this is the the springboard that he wants, that he needs. It's the platform that he desires, which will then put him into the NFL. And you look at the guys who are behind him and saying, you're just going to get spot duty. When I say redshirt, Seth McGowan's going to play four games. Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. They want him to get that experience and while he's a talented running back, I don't think he's going to be able to overtake the likes of the the two aforementioned names. Oh, I agree 100 percent with and that. And then you've you've thrown in Mikey Henderson into this equation as a versatile guy. I don't think he's going to be limited to just the running back position. I think we see him line up all over the field, honestly. Doesn't matter yeah. what labels attached to him. He's a guy who presents this opportunity, as I mentioned, for Oklahoma to play at the pace that they want to play at on the offensive side of the ball. So why not utilize him? A bigger guy at 6'2", it can play the H-back. In fact, he could line up as that tight end every now and then if he wanted to. I get he's not 6'5", he's not 6'6", like the prototypical uh, um, tight end that we've seen come through the university. But at the end of the day, he allows you to do what you want to do and what you're capable of doing on the field. And if he has to line up there for one, two, 10 plays a game, then absolutely that's what Lincoln Riley's going to do. Marcus Major had a great end to this season. I don't know where he fits into that equation, but for me, it's easy to look at a guy like Seth McGowan, who you expected to redshirt last year because of the names that were on the roster yeah. and redshirt him this year. Okay, so let's do this then. Let's let's based on what you just said, let's rank Let's make our own depth chart, okay? We're going to go into the war room, and we're going to create a depth chart to give to DeMarco Murray. Here's how we would rank Oklahoma's running backs from – let's just give top five. Can we do that? Can we go five? Can you go five deep? Yeah, we can, I can give five easy. Okay, so let's go top five. I, I'm going to I'm gonna start, and, and I'm going to go with Eric Gray, number one. And I know you're not going to go with Eric Gray, number one, but I'm just saying – I'm telling you the kid's the real deal. And and everything you see uh, from from video clips on from practice reports to coaches talking, they all indicate that Eric Gray's the real deal. And where to me the advantage that Eric Gray has over Kennedy Brooks right now is the fact that he played football in 2020. This is true. And if I had to label him, then Matt, we we would need to go with a one A. And a 1B, because I do think they're neck and neck. Totally stole my idea. Go ahead. I think that we could flip a coin for these two names. I like Kennedy Brooks. I like what we've seen out of him. I like the knowledge of this offensive schematic, and I like what he brings to the table. It's hard to deny that when Oklahoma had a running game last year, the the passing game, mm-hmm. it, it's hard to deny the benefit that they received. And Kennedy Brooks, I think, gives that to you immediately. I think Eric Gray gives that to you immediately. So I'm going 1A, Kennedy Brooks stealing your idea, even though I threw it out there, and 1B, Eric Gray. Okay, so I'm gonna, we're just going to flop for me. A one One's going to be uh, Eric Gray and then Kennedy Brooks, 1B. So that, that brings up the big question of who do you have at number three? Because I think we're agreed that top four are going to see the field, right? Yeah. Okay, so who would you have at number three? 
Uh, number three for me, and it goes back to the versatility factor. It's got to be Mikey Henderson. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna again disagree with you because I'm putting Marcus Major at number three. I think Marcus Major is gonna have his best season at the University of Oklahoma and really set himself up if he wants it to make a push to be one of those key guys in 2022, like Kennedy Brooks and Eric Gray are in 2021. So I'm I've got Marcus Major at number three. I think he figured a lot of things out last season, and I'm just going by the the fantastic game he had in the cotton bowl that was the the best we had seen of him in college i mean he looked like the old millwood guy that you see all just running through high school defenses going up against florida I've when got you're him in, averaging 12 yards yeah. carry it's so hard I've got not him, to draw that comparison i've got him at number three you've got mikey henderson at number three and I, i've got marcus major at number four all right and and the That's reason where i thought you were going yeah, the, the reason for me placing him below mikey henderson right now is the long absence that he had I talk about consistency a lot, so I feel as though I need to back up those kinds of statements. And the consistency, we've got we've got one game for Marcus Major. I, Seth McGowan had he, a— He was pretty decent against Texas as well. Seth McGowan had a better year I, overall, I agree. Right? not going to disagree and with that so at all. I'm going to put Marcus Major at the bottom of the pile— it's not to say that these are set in stone uh-huh. either. We're clearly not the coaches, and we don't have the final say in it. But if we were sitting here and we were ranking them today, give me the consistency. Give me those 12 yards of carry in consistent games. I, I'm not expecting that. I get how unrealistic that is. But if if Marcus Major can get onto the field and average right around five, maybe six yards of carry, I would be willing to bump him up to that number three spot, no questions asked. Well, didn't like uh, McGowan have a ridiculous yards per carry average in the Cotton Bowl as well? Like I don't recall. I'm just saying. I think it was like 25 yards a carry or something like that. Um, so this is this is where we're really gonna go. Oh my gosh, seriously? Are, are you being serious right now? I've got uh, at number four for me is Seth McGowan. No, and I'm not surprised by that. That means I've got Mikey Henderson last. Right, and I'm okay. not surprised by that because of your previous statement that they use him sparingly. I think I mean, you, you kind of well, gave yourself away yeah. <laughs> what you said about about Seth McGowan red shirting and really applying that towards 2022. I feel that way about Mikey Henderson. I feel that's why this transition has been made with Mikey Henderson and think about it. He's moving from H back to running back, which means he's going to have to learn a new part of the playbook. What, what are you laughing at? Well, Seth McGowan had a, Incredible average. Right. What was it? It's 73 yards per, per carry. Okay. I knew it was ridiculous. I, I went way low. <laughs> I said 25 and I was off by almost 50. Um, so that said, I think Seth McGowan is, is, is a guy that may not see a red shirt, but will also be that fourth guy off the bench where Mikey Henderson will get the four games. And then what, so look, you, you believe that they're taking him, they're shaping him. They're molding him yes, for 22 into, into a, a naturalized running back, if you will. And it goes back to potentially missing out on a couple of recruits at that running back position, not only in this recruiting cycle, but in the previous one. As yeah. Well. Mikey Henderson basically is the running back for the 2020 recruiting class. Okay. I mean, that, that's, that's where they are with this. And, and I, I think they're treating him as such, not again, uh, not a knock against his talent and his ability. But I think that the year of Mikey Henderson is 2022, where I think Seth McGowan gets more more run, literally, uh, in 2021. 
We'll see. All right, we will. We, we want to know where you agree or disagree with this. You can hit us up on Twitter at Sports Heartland. You can find us on our internet, heartland-sports.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, we'll have a, a complete webpage um, dedicated to this podcast where you can drop comments um, as well. Like I said, you can subscribe to the Sooner Nation podcast just about anywhere podcasts are found. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, have a great weekend, everybody. Boomer Sooner.